Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Seahawks fans, wherever you may be. Welcome inside the Hawks Playbook Podcast. Join your host, Bill Alvstad, and featuring 12thManRising.com editor and football analyst, Keith Myers. Hello and welcome again into the Hawks Playbook Podcast. I'm your host, Bill Alvstad, and I am here again with... Keith Myers, the editor and chief football writer for 12thManRising.com. Hi, Keith. Hey, Bill. How's it going? It's going good. Well, here we are in uh, probably uh, getting close to the first part of spring, and we're now just coming out of the combine. We're right in the heart of the first couple of days in free agency, and so we do have quite a bit to talk about today. But first, I wanted to get into just a couple of news items, and we'll talk about the combine a little bit, and we'll head right into free agency because I think that's where uh, everybody wants to to discuss and talk about uh, what's going on right now. So this week we saw uh, the Seattle Seahawks make a couple of moves as far as um, what they didn't do, and they did not assign tenders for uh, both. Uh, Deshaun Shedd and Coyle and I was just wondering what your thoughts on Shedd was more or less I you know they looks like they may have moved on from Coyle uh, with that move but Shedd not necessarily so yeah I mean with with Coyle it's a matter of looking at the at the value and you're not going to pay a backup um, linebacker that's replaceable two million a year um, because that's what the the lowest level tender is uh, for for there and and so it just wasn't wasn't a value that doesn't mean he won't come back and the same is true for Shed now Shed's a a different story because he's a starting caliber player uh, and so you're looking at okay if they had given him uh, that or it's like 1.9 million uh, to bring him back and you think okay that's that could be worth it the rich, the issue there with him is he had that knee injury he uh, is a long way out still there the team's operating under the assumption that he may not be back for um the beginning of the season start the year on the physically unable to perform list not be back till mid-season and with that they don't really want to lock him up with that one-year deal at that that cap value and they're they're not real concerned about losing him this offseason because any team that signs him is going to want him to pass a physical, and at this close to his knee surgery, he can't pass a physical. So they can slow pay, play the, uh, you know, the contract situation a little bit, and, and see what how it comes up. Sure. Well, you know, and all these moves are kind of hooked together. I mean, we look at these um, initial tender offers. We look at uh, the free agency period where we're 
kind of resaying as, uh, some of our own guys. In fact, more of our own guys than not, probably at the end of the at the end of the day. And so, what they're trying to do between now and the draft is pretty much plug as many holes as they can. And if Quell doesn't fit that long term look, you know, maybe this is a time to move on. Like you said, they could bring him back for uh, less, a uh, little less uh, going forward. You know, but he is fairly serviceable, and if you did not bring him back, you'd have to plug that hole with somebody. Now, whether that's the draft or a uh, unrestricted uh, or undrafted free agent later on after the draft, or a really fairly low-profile free agent signing, uh, you know, maybe next week, week after. What are your thoughts on on the linebacker situation? Well, I think they'll probably attack it in a couple of ways. They'll sign uh, some, whether it be him or some other linebacker that's been mostly a backup for their career, get him in on a one-year uh, vet minimum uh, contract, and then at the same time look during the draft, either during it on day three or, or just after uh, in the undrafted period, and uh, to grab a couple of options and then let the you know two or three guys compete for that spot. Yeah, I think you're right on that. I think we'll see Shed back. I just, I really believe that they don't think that he's going to be ready at the first of the year. Mm-hmm. They also don't want to pay him uh, the tender salary that he was going to have to come in at. And I think, uh, you know, moving forward into the draft, I really do believe that they're probably going to end up drafting at least a couple of corners, maybe one early, one mid to late rounds um, to give them some depth. Yeah, and this is a great year to need a cornerback. And we saw that in the combine where, um, you know, the offensive line group was terrible at the combine and the, the defensive back group was, I mean, this is one of the most athletic defensive back, uh, groups that we've ever seen, uh, at the combine. And so you look at, at the, you know, there are these guys that are six two six three that you normally are rare. And when they come through, they, they're, they're tall, but they're stiff and they don't do well. Uh, and they're just, you know, jumping out of the building and, and just looking outstanding. And so you end up with this really good group. And so the Seahawks will be able to kind of wait a little bit and, you know, not have to, to panic at uh, cornerback and still get a good player or two. Well, and you're right. And a, and a great segue into our, our next segment, which is the combine. Uh, we're going to do a little review. Um, the Seahawks are set up pretty well uh, this year as far as matching player need with the strength of the draft, which is uh, defense, defensive backs in particular, safeties, uh, linebacker. Um, you know, there's a couple other positions on offense. I think tight end is pretty strong. Uh, looks like running backs are not special, but pretty decent uh, into the into the mid rounds. Quarterbacks, obviously not good, but we're not looking for one. Um, so why don't we talk about uh, a couple of combine winners for you in particular that stood out? Uh, definitely Kevin King from uh, University of Washington. Uh, the guy just showed up and, and blew everything away, like uh, 99.5 percentile uh, as, as far as athletes at corner, 6'3", uh, just really showed off his athleticism to me that he was a guy who people were talking about in you know, mid to late third round. And now after the combine, there's some, some late first round talk and and there's a lot of connection of him to Seattle. So is that realistic, you know, for a guy to, um, to move that much out of a combine performance when you've got all that film to look at, you know, he was pretty healthy going in to the combine, um, throughout his career. 
at the University of Washington. Does a guy like that really move that fast and that far? Yes, and it, but it's it's less about the combine and more about uh, guys finally taking notice. I mean, there's what it happens is there's so many players and so little time to um, to study them all that there there's a little bit of you know rounding error in in all of this, and so he's a guy who never generated a lot of hype, and so therefore he's kind of graded down. Uh, because you're just like, oh, he's not as good as uh, Buddha Baker. I mean, he, Baker was the the name in that secondary, and Sid Jones was a little bit also uh, more of a name, and so those guys is, were rated higher. Is, is some of that, um, and I know the, the guys you just mentioned are on the same team, but is mm-hmm. some of this uh, lack of notice, if you will, kind of a West Coast Pac-12 sort of bias out there where you know, you've got these pretty decent players, but if they were in the SEC or the or the East Coast, they'd get a lot more hype. Especially defensive players in the Pac-12, and that that's pretty common. If they were, uh, yeah, if they were the SEC or if they were a, um, you know, a Big Ten uh, player, they would they would have a lot more hype, and people would know them, and they'd be t- people would be talking about them going higher in the draft, and that's why you see those players. Uh, move more after the combine because when they come in and really impress, then everyone goes, "Oh wait, let's go back and relook at their tape for real." And you know, King's tape is—it's not uh, third or fourth round where, where people thought it's probably late two. But then you throw in his athletic athleticism, and they go, "Okay, well, he might be late two, but the the ceiling is really high." So let's go ahead and and say early two with him because he's he'll he'll. It'll take him a little bit longer to develop, but it's worth waiting for because he's got such such athleticism, and that's really where with King, like where he's where he's at. Now, with uh, how he might relate to the Seahawks, he does have the length, mm-hmm. size, and speed that they look for. And does his athletic profile, his performance in the combine, all his tape, point to the idea that he could be a, a a value pick at 26 or does would that indicate if they really want him that he might be available late later in the first or early second and the Seahawks would look to trade down knowing that he might be out there so he does project very well in what into Seattle's scheme um, I think my comment was he's the closest thing to Richard Sherman since Richard Sherman um, athletically uh, so that'll give you kind of an idea you know the height weight just uh, all of its agility numbers. So I think if the Seahawks want him, they're going to have to to take him. What they'll probably do is just wait and see how the draft unfolds. When they're sitting there at 26, if him and uh, Witherspoon out of Colorado are both available, they're very similar uh, athletes, very similar players, both 6'3", then they'll trade back maybe to um, you know 30 or 29, somewhere <laughs> in there, get an extra pick, and then take whoever's left. If one of them is gone and the other one's there, they're going to be they're going to be more press, pressured to sit and at that spot and take one, take one of them. Well, as you know, Schneider usually talks about having a shelf of, of uh, value mm-hmm. uh, where certain value drops and rises and stays uh, fairly consistent. And it is possible that Schneider takes a look at picks between 25 and 40 and says, you know what? We'd be happy with almost any any number of players within that range. Can we get an extra pick or two if we were to drop back five, ten picks at the most probably? Um, 
get another third rounder or maybe another fourth and fifth type situation um, and still have four or five guys they really like that they could get at, at say, 32 to 38. Yeah, and that's, that, that is definitely Schneider's um, way of doing things. And it, it's a smart way of doing things because, you know, unless there's a guy who you absolutely love or if you're sitting right at the the, the back end of the one of those shelves where, um, you know, all those guys that you thought were going to be in that range are gone and you're looking at one or two left, uh, you're, you're better off to trade back. And I, I we, just looking at cornerbacks, there is that group. I mentioned uh, King and Witherspoon. You could throw in Marlon Humphrey out of Alabama. You can talk about Sid Jones, also from Washington. Um, How about a guy that I really thought popped was uh, Melifuanu. So he's a guy that is a little bit different. Um, is a safety. He's a, he's a good, um, you know, free safety with just incredible athleticism, just absolutely crazy. But his tape is not. It is not up to up to par. I mean, there's a lot I heard of mistakes. He was a lot of quote unquote soft. Yeah, I heard that about him. Yep, and he overruns plays a lot. He doesn't show the great instincts of of the, of you know like a an Earl Thomas or, you know, some of the NFL safety. So you're pick with him, you're picking a super athletic project. Someone and speaking that, of athletic, I mean, six, three, two, 32 and a half inch arms, 44 inch vertical jump. Love yep. that for that yeah. position. Uh, 11, nine broad jump, which is jumping out of the, out of the building and a four, four, 40. I mean, geez. And so Eric, uh, Edholm reported that, this is the player the Seahawks have spent the most time with so mm-hmm. far in in the um, Senior Bowl and in the Combine interview process and just evaluating him. So it wouldn't shock me if he's definitely number one, number two, number three on their radar. Oh, and it, just from the athletic stand, profile standpoint, he totally would make just tremendous sense for uh, the Seahawks. Like I said, I'm not... I'm not real excited about his tape. I think he's more of a project, but he's a guy you bring in. I mean, Cam Chancellor, when they drafted him, was kind of similar. I mean, he's a little bigger, uh, and he's also a, a more of an uh, in-the-box strong safety versus a free safety. So there's some differences. But if you look at he was super athletic, massive project, fell all the way to the fifth round. Seattle grabbed him. It's been a year developing him uh, with Lawyer Malloy as the starter and then they got an all pro. So he's kind of a guy that you can look at that way and see if, you know, maybe they can turn him into something, but I wouldn't be as excited about them grabbing him in the first round or early in the second after a trade down, just simply because I don't think he's ready to contribute right now. Interesting. I, I don't know, man, that guy, something about that guy. I just, can't put my finger on it, but it, it would excite me if we pulled the trigger. I I wouldn't have the same reservation. Before I went through and looked at all of his tape, um, I had him pegged as my Cam Chancellor uh, replacement, which we you know you and I talked about uh, back in the first um, in the first one that we were uh, you know w- what would we do with Cam and it you know draft a replacement, develop him. And I had him pegged. He was going to be my guy. You could get him. If all those third round picks, you go get uh, Minifanu and, and, and turn him into cam. And after that combine, I'm not, I'm not going to go away from that. I just think that they may have to draft him a little sooner than they'd like to get. Well, that he did, him. you know, he did have a four year career. 
Okay. He did have, you know, 349 tackles. He was productive. He was, a, you know, a, an integral part of their scheme. Anyway, I I think that he would be a, a good fit. Yeah, would I feel better if we could pick him up in the middle of the second round and, and gain a couple picks moving back a little bit? Sure. But I think that he would probably be an instant hit in, this, in the Seahawks scheme because they could move him around so much. I mean, he could play into the slot. He could play up. He could... Uh, he could blitz from that safety position. He could cover, you know, he's big enough to cover tight ends. Um, he and we need the depth, you know, big time. So if they're going to draft, if they're going to draft a safety in that range, I'd rather see him draft um, uh, Buda Baker out of Washington. He's not big; he's smaller, but he can flat out cover in the slot. He can play the back end. Uh, in a and more of an Earl Thomas role, I, he's he's also versatile, but he's ver- versatile in different ways. Yes, uh, and so I think, and I think that you're going to get a guy who is less risky in terms of you know the bust potential with him in- than interesting. Than I you know what I totally can see that as well. I mean, Buda Baker would be an amazing pick, and it would certainly give uh, uh, Thomas uh, some time to take some plays off now and again too i mean he's he's legitimately a guy that could probably come in and start for most teams yep so and um, i was gonna say people our our listeners will know that all of this um husky talk is not (laughs) is is not homerism on my part because i'm a coog and so when i go when i start praising uh guys like baker and king it's because they are legit great players uh our prospects that are you know are guys that are going to do well at the next level. So is there one or two other guys that popped out for you or any players that you thought really hurt themselves at the combine? Um, so Davin or Dalvin cook, uh, the running back, which kind of the consensus top running back, uh, had an absolutely terrible, uh, week at the combine. I mean, he, he did not perform in any of the drills. It looked, you know, very unathletic and everyone's like, Whoa, what happened there? And so then I, I've actually seen some people going back, look at the tape and go, you know, he rounds off his runs. He doesn't make sharp cuts. And so that's how he's able to keep his speed because he doesn't have the explosion. And so people are starting to really look back and go, hmm, I think we overrated him. Interesting. Um, yeah, so he's a guy who who didn't do himself any favors, and pretty much the entire offensive line group didn't do themselves any favors. You've got uh, uh, both the guys from USC, which are Wheeler and um, uh, Banner. There, they both tested below the fifth percentile um, athletically, which is bad. You only had five players there. Uh, test above average uh as compared to nfl peers only five guys two of them Isn't were just, crazy two of them were just barely above average like they were in like 52 and 55th percentile so that um, kind of tells me keith that this may be a year where you can see seattle using another seventh round pick or an undrafted guy to come in as a defensive guy that gets project into the offensive line yeah, I, I, you're going to see them, if they're going to look for a project, it's going to be probably a defensive player or a, uh, another basketball player or something like that. And I know everyone is going to hate it, and yeah, I'm, gonna yeah. not, I'm not going to like covering it, but uh, there just isn't a lot of athletes on the offensive line this year. So they're not really going to have a lot of options. 
quickly, if you could name one player out of that combine that is going to be a Seattle Seahawk, who would that be? Player that is going to be a Seattle Seahawk. Um, God, I was focusing so much on the defensive backs, and I really want to say uh, King. But at the same point, I don't know where they value that. Uh, so I'm going to go with uh, a defense or an offensive tackle. And I'm, his first name is, is uh, escaping me, but his last name is Moton, M-O-T-O-N. Right. Um, and he's from this little tiny school that most people probably haven't heard of. And I looked at his tape. It's pretty good. He's got some good movement skills. He's one of those. Western Michigan. There you go. Uh, and he's one of those few guys that's above an above average uh, athlete for the position. You know, he's been playing at a small school, so he's a bit of a project and you know, has some technique work that needs to be Is he fixed, a but second round, third round guy? I think Where do you him, have him pegged? I I have him in the late three, so he's going to be down in that comp pick area um, where the Seahawks have all those extra third round picks. And awesome. I, I think he's a guy... He, He's not a guy you're going to bring in to start year one, but he has all the athleticism of like a Gary Gilliam, but with actual experience on the offensive line and, you know, it, much less of a project than Gilliam ever was. Well, that gives us a guy to, to take a look at and keep an eye on. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So good. So I think without further ado, let's just jump right into free agency because uh, right off the bat... We have news to talk about. Exactly. Right off the bat, the Seahawks (laughs) made a move uh, in the first couple minutes of of free agency after the tampering period, quote-unquote, was over. Uh, Legitimate free agency started at 1 p.m. on Thursday, Pacific time. And uh, what did Seattle do? The Seahawks signed the, uh, the number two overall pick in the 2013 draft. Luke Jokel, who spent the last four years as a disappointment in Jacksonville. They signed him to a one-year incentive-laden deal that's below market value for, you know, any of the other uh, signings that were going in there just to give him a chance to rebuild his market value. And it's, you know, one of those upside signings for the Seahawks. I think it is upside. And I you got to – my uh, my gut instinct wants to take a positive uh, outlook on this move. And he's a Texas A&M guy. I think um, Afedi's a Texas A&M guy. I think that Cable uh, likes Texas A&M guys because they kind of uh, run a zone scheme out of there. So they've got a little bit of that experience. I think he believes, and this is, again, one of those Cable things where he can fix anybody. And I think that he's going to take a look at Luke, and he's going to see an athlete and he's going to see a guy that he thinks he can swing around that line in a couple, two, three different positions. And I think he's thinking he's got a player. It's, it's, it's hard to project this because we don't know what else the team is going to do in free agency in the draft, but he is a guy that is versatile. He can play guard or tackle. He's played right tackle, uh, left guard and left tackle in the NFL. They draft him. He is was he good. an upgrade? Yes. From what we have. I yes. mean, bottom line, did he, we improve our team? We improved that offensive tackle if that's where he lands. Of course, that is a really, really low bar to get over um, to say that it was an improvement. So, so what, what kind of contract did it take to get him in the building? So we don't know the full details. It's a one-year up to $8 million. 
but what we don't know is how much of that is base salary. Uh, and then the, what we do know is that it's really incentive rich, but we don't know what those incentives are. You want to take so, a guess? I think that we're looking at about $3 million in base salary, and then the rest is incentives. And then it, it comes down to, okay, if there's playing time incentives, okay, that counts as... Uh, likely. At, that, yeah, like, likely to be uh, achieved, and so therefore it affects the cap until he doesn't meet them, and then they get the refund of the cap space. Um, if their team uh, incentives, like making the playoffs, making the Super Bowl, that kind of stuff, then... You know, those count uh, in the same way. If they are ones like make it to a Pro Bowl or that kind of stuff, those count as not uh, likely to be achieved. And so, therefore, they don't count against the cap until the player meets them. And then they would. So, a, a, a total number that's possibly against the cap for him would be in the $6 million range-ish, yeah. that's, give that's or take. Six, six to seven, I think, is probably what his, his cap number is going to be at the start of the year. And by the end of the year, when he doesn't meet uh, incentives, we'll see that number drop back down. You know what? I'd pay him $8 bucks if he can meet all the incentives because exactly. I want him to be successful. Yeah. You know, And if he is successful, quite honestly, and he turns his career around... And the Seahawks decide that they can't afford him next year. He goes out and signs a big contract. We could end up with a real nice comp pick for him. So all around, I think I'm okay with the move. Yeah, the better he plays, the better it is for the Seahawks. And if they have to pay him an extra couple million dollars because he hits incentives along the way, then I don't think anyone will complain because that meant he played really well. And what they need is a guy who can play well. So, yeah, if that's one of the nice things here is, is well, they'll pay him whatever – uh, he earns at this point, but it is nice to see that it is incentive based because if that knee that uh, he injured last year after only four games gives him some trouble and he doesn't get all the way back and he doesn't play, okay, well then they didn't spend eight million dollars on a um, experiment that didn't work. They can, you know, uh, he doesn't meet those incentives and, and everything goes back. They get their caps money back for the following year when they're going to need it. So the Seahawks have made a move and. Uh, so now at least all of us who've been clamoring for offensive line talent infusion have at least a, a warm body that we can put into place and feel a little bit better about it. But it doesn't look like the Seahawks are completely done yet. What else is going on? Let's stick with offensive linemen. What else are you hearing? So the other thing which is happening is uh, TJ Lang, who's the veteran offensive guard from Green Bay. He is... Looking at the clock, uh, not in town as of the point which point that we are recording this, but he will be shortly. His plane lands uh, soon, and he'll be in town tonight, uh, meeting with the Seahawks and hopefully them getting him signed. Although he has other trips uh, can, lined can up. Can we afford? This. Can we afford T.J. Lang? And oh, what yeah. would he do for the Seahawks if we did get him in the building and and didn't let him leave without a contract? They can. The team can afford him. They went into this. Uh, they went into this uh, off season with with enough cap space to make uh, a big signing and Jugal the, the, mar the market is just crazy right now it on is. you know guards and tackles and even guys that are kind of not even top ten at the position are getting some big bucks. What what makes him semi affordable? What makes him a good fit? What where do you think he's going to land as far as a contract is concerned? 
Uh, I think he'll land in the uh, 10 to 12 million uh, per year range, but not all of that's going to be in the first year. Um, the way this, the NFL contracts work out is because a chunk of it is in signing bonus, and that counts when they when teams uh, structure deals. They go, okay, well, we're if we're going to pay you uh, 10 million a year for this first year, it's going to be six million of a signing bonus, and then. Uh, four million of salary, and so then that signing bonus chunk gets spread out all over the, uh, all the years. And so the actual cash, there's ten million, but the sign, but the cap number will come in less. And I think that's why they're going to be able to 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 fit him in without a lot of difficulty. Uh, what where it will become a problem is next year, or the year after, because then the, that number goes up, and so it it can be okay. Well, we can. If we sign him, then we're going to have more difficulty signing um, Justin Britt. So maybe instead of signing Justin Britt this offseason, we have to wait till you know, December and, and do things or, like we or did. Or Cam Chancellor. Yeah, or Cam. Uh, so these are guys that, that maybe not won't get signed this offseason, and they wait till midseason, so that things kind of push back a year as far as where the – um, the salary cap implications are so th- that's where you're going to see there, there's some finagling that, that they they might have to do that way but they can fit him in under the cap without a lot of difficulty it does sound like they're going to throw everything at him to, to get him to sign um, it remains to be seen whether or not they're successful at it you know there have been occasions in the past where uh, prime free agents have come in and we've we've done that, and they've left with uh, full negotiating strength back to their original teams to to re up. So, what are the chances of him actually being a Seattle Seahawk? Ah, uh, that's a good question. Um, right now, I'd say pretty good uh, because the Seahawks seem to really want him. They know they need him. Uh, they know that getting a veteran into that meeting room um, and onto this onto the field is absolutely something that they need to do. I mean, you look at both uh, uh, Pete Carroll and John Snyder mentioned it in their combine press conferences about they got too young, too fast. They need to, to bring That's in right. some veteran leadership. And I think they've, they've seemed to have narrowed in on TJ Lang as that guy. That's going to be that veteran leadership. So right now I'd say the odds are pretty good. If, we don't have a deal this evening, um, but so it's Friday by like eight o'clock local time here. I think the odds drop tremendously because if he leaves, uh, it's he'll go somewhere else, and someone else will pay him what Seattle wasn't willing to. So it, right now it feels good, but it's, it needs to happen today. So let's assume that it happens. Can you uh, run out? Um the offensive line and uh, including Jokel and kind of guide us through the improvement that we would see. Well, you know, let's go from the inside out. Cause I think it works easier that way. You're still going to see, um, uh, Glowinski and Britt in the center of that line. You're going to, and you're going to slot TJ Lang in it, right? A guard. And it gives them a very solid center, uh, for the line, which is important for, uh, Russell Wilson because he's not the tallest guy. And so as you see, when you look at the saints with Drew Brees, they they've invested more at guard than teams usually would because they know what they've got to do. They've got to work with there. That's a so, very good point. So giving the Seahawks that, that three interior uh, lineman would, would be great. And then it, it sets up. Okay. So now 
go back to offensive tackle and you go, okay, last year that was a major problem. And this year you would go in as, as a question mark, but instead of um, having these guys, hey, the, you know, that have never played and you're like, hey, you're our starter. Now they're competing. So you've got uh, Jokel and Fant on one side. You've got Reese and um, Effetti and uh, Gilliam all on the other side. And so you've got, you know, those five guys and you're like, compete we're, we're going to play the best two and uh i think you you open up in that situation where you're looking for two out of five uh that need to uh need to step up and show they can play and, and maybe a guy they draft yeah and so you've got you've got a situation like that where you're you're playing the odds in a way where yeah there might be some uncertainty but it's still the, the odds are set up in a way where you feel confident that you're going to be okay so left to right, you could look at Jokel, Glowinski, Britt, Lang, Effetti, if they move Effetti out of the right tackle spot. Mm-hmm. That's a, I, I could live with that line. Or, or Reese Adiambo. Uh, or, or, right. Reese. So, or Reese. So, yeah. So Do you I, think Effetti is literally going to work himself out of a job? No, I, I don't. I think that he, if they sign. Uh, Lang, they'll move him, move Effetti to right tackle, and they're going to give him every chance to win that job. And it, it'll be up to him. But I think he'll go into training camp as the starter at right tackle. It'll be up to him to keep it and to stop uh, Adiambo and uh, Gilliam from taking that job away from him. I, You know what? I think that if, if they did Lang, uh, it would make my offseason because everything else, I think, then becomes easier for the Seahawks to solve. You know, they if they can solve this offensive line issue, I think that they don't have to depend on the draft, which is horrible for offensive linemen this year. I think they can then focus on the defense, um, you know, maybe a tight end on the offense. But other than that, I mean, there's really not a lot of big holes on the offense, maybe another uh, running back. And then you shift over to that defense and you can focus all of your attention there, which I think we need to do. And it, it I don't know, it just... And makes it easier for me. I don't see them spending a lot of uh, free agent capital on the defense, but I do. I don't either. I do see them investing heavily in it on uh, in the draft and getting younger, especially in the backup spots. Just getting younger and more athletic uh, on the defensive line. You know, a couple of extra linebackers, and then as we've been talking about, you know, and the defensive back, both safety and corner. I just I see them investing heavily in getting younger and more athletic on defense and really getting back to the way they were a few years ago. If Lang leaves the building without a contract, are there any other linemen on your radar that the Seahawks could bring in to at least uh, drive some competition? Uh, yes. Like a Schwenke <laughs> or, or, you know. Yeah, there, there there are a few. I think at this point you're not looking at guys that are, are going to come in and start because those guys are gone. Like all of them. The guys we were looking at, like uh, Riley Reef, who's not a great player. He's an average player. He signed, um, you know, Ricky... Ricky Wagner is signed. Uh, Zeitler is signed. I mean, all of these players that we are, um, we're looking at as possibilities. They've all gone elsewhere. Uh, you're, we're really looking at TJ Lang being the 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 last uh, available starter, unless someone else gets cut. Uh, Schwenke's a good example. I think he can uh, still come in and play, but he's more naturally a center. And if that's the case, then what do you do? do you, are you moving Britt? Uh, 
over to guard. I don't, I don't think you can move Brett. I really don't. I mean, that guy solidified himself as the center, and if you move, I, I don't. I wouldn't feel comfortable with that. Yeah. See, and that's that is kind of where I'm I'm at too. Is so because if you're bringing in a center, if you're bringing in Schwinky, uh, then you're you really are saying, okay, we're going to move Britt. Britt's going to be our left guard instead of TJ Lang and, and going through that whole scenario that we just well, had. Well, uh, Sh- Schwenke has experience at guard too. so He does, but he's not built for it. He's kind of like the Britt situation where mm-hmm. he didn't really find himself at guard and ended up playing center and played a little better. And I don't know. I'm with you. I mean, it's almost like we're held hostage by this whole TJ Lang thing. It's, and we've got to throw the kitchen sink at him. And if we don't, and even if we do, and he says, no, we're, we're kind of, we're not sitting. Yeah. Because, because then the, uh, the upside play, the the guy you're not going to count on, but you're hoping to get something from and joke that becomes your big free agent addition on the offensive line. And you got to have more than that. This this unit needs more than that. I just, you know, it's hard for me to imagine a team like the Seahawks, perennial playoff team, Super Bowl two times in the last four or five years, Pete Carroll the coach, Schneider's the GM, to swing and miss on the offensive line as much as they have and then make this big splash for Lang and, and miss, uh, that would be a tough one. Yeah, it it's weird that this is such a blind spot for the team because they have um they've just struggled to find talent and they keep drafting these um uh offensive tackles that can't contribute at offensive tackle. I mean, you have Carpenter who ended up at guard, you've got Britt who ended up at center, you've got Fetty who's now at guard. Well, and when you when you draft that late in the draft, you're not getting the top one or two or three tackles in the draft, and so it. And usually, those are the guys that can come in and start for you right away. The other guys are more project guys. That yeah, they've got you know peripheral first round talent, but not really. Well, yes and no, because the problem isn't that okay, they're not ready. Uh, to start, I mean, that's what when you look at like Reese Adiambo, you knew he wasn't ready because of the injuries and stuff. He was going to be a project and was going to take time. But he at least had the t- physical talent when healthy to play offensive tackle. The Seahawks have this thing about drafting heavy-footed, slow guys that might be powerful in the run game, but just have no business pass blocking at offensive tackle. And that's who they keep drafting, and they keep drafting the same prototype of player that isn't built to succeed at the NFL level. And that's who Fetty is. And that's who Carpenter was. And that's who Britt is. And it's not, it just hasn't worked and they haven't adapted and figured out, Hey, we need to look for something different. So moving beyond the offensive line, uh, any other position groups, any other players in the, uh, in free agency that, uh, you've had your eye on that might be a good fit for the Seahawks. Well, the Seahawks are hitting the running back market very strongly here in the early stages. They haven't signed anyone, but uh, they were tied with Adrian Peterson at one to, uh, at one point, and then it turned out the Seahawks maybe weren't as interested once the uh, numbers were exchanged. Then uh, Jamal Charles uh, became the the primary target, and now he seems they've kind of backed off on him a little bit. But they're bringing in uh, the former Packer Eddie Lacy. He'll be in uh, tonight and tomorrow uh, for a visit, 
and uh, the former Raider uh, Latavius Murray is also going to be in tomorrow. So that's a, a good group. Those are probably the four best running backs on the market, and all four of them are the Seahawks are showing interest in it. So it's it's pretty clear that the Seahawks believe that they need uh, a veteran in that running back room. Uh, you know, someone to add to the mix that isn't another another rookie that they're going to draft. They want someone who who has some experience and is a proven quantity. Uh, what's your best fit and why? Uh, Eddie Lacy provided that his weight is under control and there's a weight clause in the contract uh, because he is a powerful uh, runner that's hard to tackle. He is, uh, you know, got some miles left on him. I think as long as he comes in in shape and uh, motivated, he's a guy you can plug in and start and and be good. I I, always looked at him, and I always looked at Marshawn. It was almost like a mirror image. Uh, You know, when he was good, he was really good. And he he beat up the Seahawks a couple of different times. Yeah, he did. And I I like him, but, boy, there's some question marks there. But you know what? There's question marks all across the board. We're not looking for a guy necessarily that has to be – the primary back at this point. Any of those guys you mentioned would be coming in to fill a role on the Seahawks would probably look at anywhere between five to at the most 10 touches a game. What do you think? Well, I I think that is what our expectation is and what the Seahawks expectation is, but that isn't necessarily what the player's expectation is. Adrian Peterson still wants to be the guy and get 20 um, to 25 touches a game. And, you know, from what we saw last year, he shouldn't be getting that. I mean, we're talking about a first ballot Hall of Famer, one of the best ever, but we have to remember that it is not, um, you know, he is not that same guy that he used to be. So, Do you know where Charles is at as far as uh, injury recovery, and is he ready to go? I don't ha- know where he is as far as his recovery. I haven't looked into that uh, nearly as much as I probably should. He is... But he's another guy who there's a when he's healthy and when he's on he's really good, but the injuries over the last couple of years have you know really built up and and really slowed him down, and so it's very questionable as far as what does he have left in the tank. So let's talk about the one guy that hasn't been injured, uh, Murray from Oakland. What what's his deal? So Murray is a uh, he's got some some quicks and uh he's a bigger guy with with some straight line speed around like a what four four uh, i think it was, like f- combine? it was something like that it was like four four three i'm just off the top of my head i thought i could be wrong but he's but, but he's a big guy he's a big guy with straight line speed what he isn't is he's not particularly agile um he's not going to make a lot of guys miss but he will if you if he gets to the corner he could be gone he's he's a big play threat um yeah he's so he's He's not Marshawn like because you when you see Marshawn run, he was always you know there's he he'd cut eight times in a single run, um, and and you're not going to get that from Murray. But what you wouldn't have gotten from Marshawn that you would for Murray is you know once he gets in the clear, he can take and take it to the house, uh, by, by running away from people because he's got that speed. So he's a different kind of player. Um, he's got good hands out of the backfield. He um, is is good that way. He's not the best uh, pass blocker, but He'd be a first and second down back. He's not really the the third down back. You're going to have Procise uh, and then Alex Collins for that role. So 
Yeah, I mean, he's a guy who's an interesting fit. Now, whether or not uh, he will excel in Seattle's uh, scheme is a little harder to project because of the fact that we don't know what Seattle's offensive line is going to look like. Murray was very productive in Oakland, but a lot of the reason why he was productive in Oakland was because they had a very good offensive line, and so there were holes for him. Is he a guy who can be dodging people in the backfield and then still get up and, and turn nothing into something? We don't really know because he didn't really have – he wasn't really tested in that way when he was at Oakland. Well, it doesn't seem to me that the Seahawks would invite him in if they didn't think so. I don't know. I don't believe Adrian Peterson is is that player anymore. And well, Adrian uh, Peterson isn't invited into the Seahawks. Oh, that's true. Office, they were they did, they talked with or there was quote unquote mutual interest, which means they were talking with him. But uh, you're right; they're not inviting him in for a visit. So yeah, I, like I said, we'll we'll have to um, to see how that plays out. But I think Murray's a good fit. My concern with him is just. I don't know if yeah like, I just don't know if he's a scheme fit so we'll have to well we'll see. Uh, I got I mean a, a, the logical question is do the Seahawks need a veteran running back this year because of the injury history of our own players? Um, do we need somebody that's dependable? I mean, and, and you look at a guy like Murray, at least you're getting that. Yeah, and that's that's why the uh, Jamal Charles and Adrian Peterson interest made no sense to me because the reason why you're bringing in a veteran is because of Thomas Rawls and CJ Procise's inability to stay healthy. And so you're, you're wanting to bring someone in to kind of take the pressure off those two guys and, and carry the load, someone who you're able to depend on if those guys go down again. And Peterson and Charles aren't that. They, neither one of them have been able to stay healthy in recent years. Uh, Murray is, uh, Eddie Lacy was before last season. So I think that, and he's young enough that, you know, you could write it off as a one-time thing for, as far as his injury. So I think that we're, I think those two guys fit what Seattle wants a lot better. I also think that we'll probably take a look at a running back either in the draft or undrafted free agent come in to add to the competition as well as they do almost every year. Yep. So moving on to other position groups or other players, um, you know, guys like Terrell McClain have been associated with uh, the Seahawks at defensive tackle, uh, you know, as a two sack guy, seven QB hits, but he did start 15 games. He'd be a quality, you know, guy to bring in um, to add to that rotational mix on the inside. Any, anybody else? You know, I haven't spent a lot of time looking at those because I d- didn't expect them to be in on those pos- on any other positions other than uh, the offensive line and running back in this first week of, of uh, free agency because the guys that are going to bring in at defensive tackle are going to be uh, draft hedges. They're, you know, guys that, are, yes. uh, that will come in and on a one-year deal with very little guaranteed money because if they don't get the guy they want in the draft or if they get the guy they want in the draft but then they get hurt um, during training camp, then they've got a fallback. And, and so, then you know, those fallback options, they've got two or three weeks at least before they start signing those guys. So I actually am unprepared for the question you just asked. Well, yeah, and you know what? It, it is true that we are really kind of focused on guys that really make the most sense. Um, we are going to see value signings uh, later on in free agency, as the Seahawks always do. They'll always uh, sign, even if it's their own guys coming back. 
I think those count as well um, as free agent signings, and we'll see a number of those. Uh, they do have to fill out their roster. So, mm-hmm. and we when we do need depth at safety and and uh, defensive line and corner, I just don't know that we're going to go out and do those in free agency just because they just don't want to spend the money there. I, and and the draft is so strong in those spots. Yeah, the the strength of the draft on the defensive side of the ball is going to allow the, the Seahawks to really slow play any free agency that goes on there. They'll wait and see what's available, and they're not going to be pushed to do anything quickly. I do think one other guy that they're going to look at, though, on their defensive line is Devin Taylor, a defensive tackle from Detroit last year. You know, he's he's young. He's like, I think he's 27 years old. He's uh, he, he creates a push up the middle. He had four and a half sacks last year, 10 QB hits can probably be had for like three and a half million dollars a year i think that we need a guy like that and and the only reason and you mentioned hedge i think it's a hedge for us because i don't know how how much draft capital we're going to throw at defensive tackle in the draft um especially a guy that can create pressure up the middle which is i think the key component that we're missing that helps that defensive backfield out a little bit on our team and it I'm not sure. I can see, that... I can actually see that fit because um, when I look at him, I, I see a guy who is not a starter. He's a guy that comes in in, in pass rush situations and um, can create that push up the middle in, in very much like a Clinton McDonald kind of role. And the well, Seahawks, yeah, the, Seahawks yeah, yeah. Have, the Seahawks have missed that, and that's what they need. I agree. So. I, I think that we're going to wrap it for now. Um, I know that there was a last, I just want to mention real quick, there was a last minute signing I'd make you aware of. Ian Rappaport just reported that the Vikings are signing offensive tackle Mike Remmers to a five-year, $30 million deal. Yeah. One more one more tackle off the market. And he was one of those guys that you kind of look at and you go, uh, it's not, he, he would be fun to have in Seattle, but I, he's not a great fit because of, um, of the zone blocking scheme. He doesn't really fit that well, but it, he was kind of a fallback if, if things fell apart for Seattle and now he's off the market too. Yep. So everyone that's listening, uh, we've got another week, uh, of kind of urgent free agency signings going on. And then after that, it kind of slows down a little bit. So next week we'll have probably another free agency review show what we can expect going forward, uh, with some of our own players uh, that have yet to been uh, be signed, where they might land if they come back to the team. Um, and we'll kind of start to look towards the draft, which is, uh, you know, the last week in April. And, um, you know, free agency really kind of helps clarify what the team is going to do in the draft. And so we'll have a lot more answers as we move forward. Um, do you have any questions this week? Uh, the question that I have this week is, it's kind of similar to um, when we talked about last week when I when I uh, we were talking about Cam Chancellor, and that is, uh, what do you do at middle linebacker? Is Bobby Wagner the long term solution, or is or or do the Seahawks have to begin uh, thinking beyond him because of injury concerns? That came from Charles on Twitter. Well, I think Charles, you know, Michael Wagner is the solution at middle linebacker until he's not. <laughs> you know, it's 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 a matter of when the body breaks down. And, and because of that, Bobby Wagner's an amazing player. 
and but he gives everything that he's got on the field and it's only a matter of time before that catches up to a player it just the way the national football league works and so i would imagine bobby wagner's probably got at least you know three four five more years in him uh the question becomes where does that value like where does his contract uh, end up at versus where his productive uh, productivity starts to drop off and so sometimes guys like that stick around with those teams and they understand that their value is diminishing a little bit and their productivity is going down and they, they will stay and take less. Other times, those kind of guys feel like they could go out and get another contract. And sometimes teams like the Seahawks have to let those guys go because the return on investment no longer makes sense for them. So I'm not sure exactly when that window closes. It will close. I just don't know when. Yeah, I I think that that question is is a bit premature um, because I don't see him slowing down at all. When he's out there playing, he is still, you know, uh, an all pro. I mean, he is with uh, Keekley's injury. Bobby Wagner takes over the the mantle as the best middle linebacker in the NFL, and I don't see that ending in the next couple of years. So I think this might be a, a question for two years from now, but not right now. Yep, I agree. So we're going to wrap it, I think, for now. And um, another week in the books. Any final thoughts? Uh, Seattle, go get TJ Lang. Go make it happen. Oh, my gosh. It, I agree. It, it, will, it will matter so much on Sundays to have that veteran guard that they can depend on. Just go, go do it, Seahawks. So... You can find us, obviously, if you're listening to this podcast, you've found uh, the 12th Man Rising website and you're listening on that website. You can download it from there as well. Soon we will be on iTunes and a few other aggregator podcast sites. You can find us on Twitter. I am at NWC Hawk. Uh, my name is Bill Alfstead. You can find Keith Myers at Myers NFL. And you can also find the podcast at Hawks playbook. So until next week, it was great catching up with you and thanks for sharing all the information and uh, we'll see you next time, Keith. All right. See you next week. The Hawks playbook podcast is brought to you by the fan sided network and 12th Find our podcast on the website or subscribe on iTunes. You can find both Bill and Keith on Twitter Bill is at NWC Hawk and Keith is at Myers NFL.
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.